So with that being said, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16 to start. Um, We have a lot of scripture today, but this is where we're going to start. Um, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. And if you got it, if you're able, if you would stand to your feet just so I know you're ready to go. Uh, If you don't have your Bible with you today, um, or again, uh, if you forgot to charge it last night and the battery's dead, if you are a, a mobile device person, um, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but uh, it'll also be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. This is what it says. I'm using the English Standard Version this morning. It says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Heavenly Father, this morning we ask that you would just bless this word, add your anointing to it, God. Let it pierce our hearts and our minds, Lord. Let it change our life. God, we thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. This is a, uh, a pretty familiar uh, scripture and a pretty familiar story. I think it's one that even if you haven't grown up in church and you haven't been in church for very long, you've you've heard at least somewhere even in popular culture uh, a reference to a prodigal son. And uh, you know, people say, "Oh, the prodigal has come home," or or if you show up at Thanksgiving and it's been a while since you've seen the family, somebody might look at you and say, "Oh, the prodigal has returned." and uh, things like that. So it's not like a a super foreign concept for most of us, Um, but I also sometimes see a little bit of a struggle and an issue when we become so familiar with Scripture. The issue is not with the Scripture, but rather we get so familiar with it that our ability to receive from it and hear from God in it becomes a little bit impeded. Uh, we get so familiar with it, and, and when you read a scripture like this, there may be even some of you today that have said, oh, I've heard this before. I know where this is going. Uh, I, I urge you this morning to open up your hearts and your minds to receive, because there are things that God showed me in this scripture that, uh, that, are, that are new and are fresh that maybe you haven't even thought of before, and maybe you have, and if you have, that is awesome, and I'm so glad God has spoken to you in this way, but uh, I don't want you to write this off as, oh, I know this story, I know where this is going, uh, because I believe God has something for us this morning. And so I don't ever want our familiarity with Scripture, and this goes with any Scripture, to ever impede our ability to hear from God something new and fresh, amen? And so in this story, we find uh, the, the, the prodigal son story here. The youngest son comes to his father, and he asks his father for his inheritance that he has coming to him. He goes to his father and says, Father, give me what I have coming. And see, we need to understand a little bit uh, about this culture here, because uh, that is a slap in the face to the father, 
Essentially, he is saying, your life really means nothing to me, and the only thing of value to me within this whole relationship is what I'm going to get when you die. That, that is the attitude of this youngest son. He, he's looking at him and says, I don't, I don't really care about you. I don't really care about this place. I want out of here. Give me what's mine so I can go and do my own thing. He's saying, I don't, I don't care if you're even alive anymore. He, and in some ways, it, you could even give it as much weight as for the youngest son to even wish death upon his father. Because he's saying, I, I don't care. I just want what's coming my way. And so he goes to his father and he says this. But the father, you know, I think uh, in modern day time, if, if I were to go to my father and say something like that, he'd look at me and say, you are ridiculous, son. You ain't getting any of it. And uh, you, you, you're going to wait. You're, you're going to stay. You're going to hang around. Like, that would not be tolerated today. This, this father in this scripture has a little bit of a different attitude. It, for, for some reason, for whatever reason, he decides, all right, if that's what you really want, and that's really what you think, you, you can go ahead and have it. And you see, not only is this a slap in the face to the father, but this, this is a financial sacrifice that this father is making, probably understanding and knowing that this son is nowhere near mature enough to handle what's coming to him. Probably in his heart, he knows that, that like this isn't like a surprise to him to, that the son is a little rebellious, that the son is a little irresponsible. I, I, we get dropped into this scripture as Jesus is giving this as a metaphor and, and a parable to teach us something. And, and so if we want to dig into some context here, I have, I have a, an inclination to believe that this father knew his son well enough to know that when I give him this inheritance, he is going to go and he is going to waste every last penny. And he gives it to him anyway. There's, there's something interesting there in that relationship between the father and this youngest son. The, the, the father is essentially saying, you know, in some ways, you know, if I were to go to my father, like I mentioned earlier, and say, uh, you know, especially at like 16 years old, 15 years old, and were to say, I want my inheritance now, he, he probably would have looked at me and said, you are not responsible enough to manage that. You are, not, you are not mature enough to deal with that in your life. And because I love you, I'm going to keep it from you. But I, I believe that this father is, is looking at his son and saying, there's a valuable lesson that he is getting ready to learn, and I love him too much to not let him learn it. And it is worth more than any inheritance, any property that I can give him. He's getting ready to inherit something greater. You see, our Heavenly Father has this, has this amazing ability to look at our lives, look at the lives of our loved ones, and see in their, their situation. He, he knows their, their end from their beginning, and, and He looks at their life, and He says, there's valuable lessons that you're going to learn. And so, because I know you need this experience in your life, I'm going to allow you to walk in this disobedience. I'm going to allow you for a season to experience this because there's something greater coming in your life that you're going to get out of this. It's amazing thing. It's amazing to think about how God works in our life like this. And I think so often, you know, we, we, we worry about the end. We worry about what's going to happen next. But God's already got it all figured out. It's not a surprise to him the things that happen on this journey in our life. It's no surprise to him that if he were to give us everything that he had for us, that we would royally mess it up. 
It's, it's not a shock to him. There's a reason why he withholds things from us. But he gives this to his son, and, and the son does exactly what I believe the father uh, predicted he would do. He throws it all away by living recklessly. Every last penny. And it begs me to ask the question, what was this younger son searching for that as the money was leaving the account, he kept saying, if I just spend just a little bit more, I'll find what I'm searching for. What was he out in the world looking for that, that he thought, if I just spend just a little bit more money, if I dive a little bit deeper into the worldly living, into the reckless living, what, what, will he, what, what is his mindset in this? What is he searching for that is so worth it? Because you see, this isn't just like finances that he's getting rid of. This isn't just property. This is his future. This is an inheritance that is supposed to set him up and secure him and give him a place to grow his own family, his own crops, his own, his own harvest, his own animals and cattle. That's what this is. He's not just, it's not just about getting rid of the money and wasting the money. He's wasting his future on reckless living. He's, he's losing the security that the Father was going to bestow upon him for the future. You see, there's a price to living sinfully. There is a price that we pay to live recklessly. There is a price that we don't even see because, you see, I'm, I'm sure the son wasn't thinking about the future. He was just thinking about the here and now and whatever it was he was searching for. But I wonder how many of us personally, at some point in our life, or we have a family member that is in our lives now, that we see living this lifestyle. And we are sitting back wondering, what is it that they are searching for that it's so worth wasting all of their future, wasting their life, wasting their money maybe? What is it they're searching for? You see, there are people every day that walk into casinos looking for something. You know, and, and we, we will say, you know, they're looking for millions of dollars. What they're really looking for is joy and happiness. They think that if I just put another dollar in, if I just put a little more on the table, if I just bet a little bit more, my chances will increase and, and I will finally find what I'm looking for. But what they find is losing everything. And it costs them more than they ever imagined it would cost. And you see, this younger son was out living recklessly, and all of a sudden, every penny was gone, all of his money was gone, and then a famine hits the land. Every penny is gone. And so what does he do? He hires himself out to feed pigs. The dirtiest, nastiest job you could find. Pigs in Scripture are known as dirty animals. They're not clean. There's a reason why in the Old Testament, God was saying, you don't eat them. Because they're so dirty and so unclean. He was living amongst them. The Bible says that he was so hungry that he even craved to eat the food that he was feeding the pigs. I don't know how many of you have ever dealt with pigs before, but at one point in my life, I worked on a farm when I was in high school. They had some pigs. They were not a pig farm, but they did have pigs for their own consumption as a family. 
And I remember one of the responsibilities was to go feed the pigs once in a while. And the food that they ate was not good food. It was the stuff that was rotted. It was the stuff that couldn't be taken to the market because nobody in their right mind would ever buy it. It was gross. It was disgusting. I can't even tell you the smell. I, I wish I could draw that picture for you. The smell that it was endured. I can still smell it to this day. Taking this, this big front loader tractor full of rotting fruit and vegetables that had been pulled out of the coolers and, and that had been pulled off the, the different plants that were no good to be picked, to be sold, just loading them up and taking them out to the pick. The, it was awful. And it was dumped in there, and within a matter of minutes, a whole front loader tractor was just devoured by these pigs. I, I, that's the best picture I can paint for you of how disgusting these animals are and how gross the food is. And the Bible says he was so desperate that he craved that. That, that, that is how desperate he got. There was a famine in the land. And the Bible says he craved it and he begged, but no one gave him anything. It's interesting how I would imagine that when he showed up in the town, rich, just got his inheritance, was spending it on reckless living, that he probably had a lot of friends. It's amazing the people that will show up when you have something to offer them. But the moment you lose everything, the moment you have nothing to offer, the world will turn its back on you. The world will look at you and say, you're not even getting the food of the pigs. It's funny, he went out into the world looking for the world to give him something. Looking for the world to provide him with joy or peace or happiness. I don't know exactly what he was searching for, but there was something he went out looking for that he was willing to spend everything on. His future, he sacrificed to find something and in return, all he found was emptiness. He found craving. He found hunger. He found despair. He found loneliness. There was no satisfaction left. He was in a famine. It wasn't like he could just go out and grow something. Nothing was growing. There was a famine in the land. And, and you know, I, I've really learned in my lifetime. I, I, I know there's some teaching in the church that's real popular that just come to Jesus and everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns all the time. But, but I, I've really learned that the reality of it, and which, by the way, that teaching really isn't scriptural. Yes, there's blessings. Yes, there's good things that happen in your life. And, and there's joy. and there's, there's, There is those things, but there are also seasons of famine. And, and sometimes, I think when we look at even the context of this younger son in this scripture, I, I look at the famine, you know, people say, oh, that's so awful that he had to go through that. that that's so disgusting and, and terrible. I, I feel so bad for him. I don't feel bad for him. I actually thank God for the famine. Because I, I really believe the famine was an act of grace and mercy. Because if he wouldn't have run out of money, if he would not have... have struggled to find food, what happens next would never have happened. 
The Bible says in, in Luke 15, verses 17 through 24, it says this, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The Bible says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I thank God for the famine. Because if it wasn't for the famine, he never would have returned home. He never would have came to himself and went from the famine to the Father. He would have stayed in his reckless living. I, I think sometimes, I, I understand the Scriptures say it is the goodness of God that leads a sinner to repentance, but I think sometimes we need to shift our prayer a little bit and say, Lord, send a famine. Make them uncomfortable in their sin. Make them regret ever stepping out of the Father's house. Send something, Lord, that drives them back home. I think sometimes we, we, we lose out on something when we neglect to pray for famine for people who are lost. I don't want sinners to find comfort in their sin and in this world. I want them to find as much discomfort and, and as much displeasure. I'm not wishing evil on anybody. What I am saying is this. I want them to be miserable in their sin and in their heart of hearts hear the voice of God say, Come home, child. I, I don't wish evil on anybody, but I do wish discomfort in sin. I, if we're comfortable in our sin, there's a problem. I'm thankful that God never allowed me to ever become comfortable in any sin ever. If we would have been comfortable in it, we'd still be in it. I'm thankful for the famine. I love this, this, the beauty of this story where, where he's on his way home and in his mind, he's just going to go out and work for his father as a hired hand. He's just going to be out in a field and he's going to get what he gets and he's going to look in and see his father and his other older son and they're feasting and enjoying life. In his mind, he's going to be nothing more than a hired servant. But what happens is, is the Bible says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. I, I, I'm speechless at that because it just tells me that the father this whole time was waiting in anticipation. It lets me know that he understood that when I give him this inheritance, he's going to enter into a famine. And when he enters into that famine, he's going to come home. And so because I know he's coming home, I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to wait and look out for him. 
Because the Bible says the father saw him while he was still a long way off. And he didn't wait for him to get all the way there. He didn't send a servant on, with a donkey or, or anything to bring him up. He himself ran to him. Ran to his son. Hugged on him and kissed him. And the son was like, hold on a second here. Wait, wait. I, he was probably a little thrown off thinking his father was going to be angry with him, disappointed with him. And the son is probably a little bit confused and probably took a step back and said, hold, hold on a second here, father. Listen, I, I'm, I, I've sinned against you. I, I know I have. And, and I'm not even worthy to be your son. And the, I love it because the father doesn't even address his statement. That doesn't even say anything back to the son. Instead, the father just looks at his servants and says, go get a robe, go get a ring, go get some shoes because we're going to clothe him, we're going to put a ring on him, and we're going to celebrate this thing. Doesn't even look at him and say, yeah, you're right, you did mess up. I can't believe you would do something like that. That doesn't even acknowledge because the father's just so grateful that his son came home. The father knows the father knew what he was out doing. It's no shock to him. But you see, when, when somebody comes home to the father, all of that gets forgotten and left behind. He, he casts our sin away. And he looks at us. And, and you see, he, he was just thinking he was going to come back as a hired servant but, but the Bible says that he put a ring on his hand, and, and many people believe, many scholars believe that this ring contained the family signet on it, symbolizing that you're back in the family. He, he put him back as his son. He restored him back to what he once was. And I think many times we think, when, when we look at maybe a loved one that's out living recklessly, when we, when, we, when we ourselves maybe at times have even been out living recklessly, we say, oh, it'll, it'll never be the same. I, I would argue that this was better than it used to be. Because, because, you see, there's a reason that the son wanted to leave in the first place. There was a brokenness in that relationship between him and the father that caused him to want out of it to begin with. There was resentment there. He would not have asked for the inheritance if he, was, if he was pleased with the way life was. There was a level of resentment there. There was a level of desire to be out of there. But now his only desire was to be home. The reason it's better is because that brokenness in the relationship is gone. He comes home, he, he, yes, he feels shame, he feels guilt, he feels all of those things. But I guarantee you, he will never look at the Father again and say, I want out of here. He'll never look at the Father again and say, I, I wish you were gone, I, wish, I just want what you have for me and I want to leave and I want to go and do my own thing. I guarantee you that will never happen because he understands what it's like to be away from the Father. And so when he comes home, it's better than it was. I want to encourage some people today who, who have a prodigal in their life. And you're concerned that when they do come home, and you're, you're even worried that if they come home, you're worried that 
if they come home and, and when they come home that it's not going to be like it used to be. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But I believe in my heart that God is saying to some people today that it's going to be better than it ever was before. It might take a little time. But it's going to be better than it ever was before. I love this. I love it that the father was waiting on him. It says he told the servants also, not just give them a ring and bring them back into the family as a son, but he said, we're going to celebrate this thing. It shows the preparation because he had a fattened calf waiting around. Like, like you, you don't just have a fattened calf sitting around for, well, just in case I need a fattened calf or something. It was a preparation that was made knowing that a celebration was coming. I want to I ask this question to some people today. Have you lost faith that the prodigal's coming home? Or are you struggling to still hang on to that and believe that? Are you making the preparations that you need to make for them to come home? Because you see, this father in this scripture said, I believe it so strongly that I'm going to prepare a fattened calf so that when he comes home, we can feast and we can celebrate. It's beautiful to know that our Heavenly Father sees when we are a long way off and comes running to us when we return home. It's a beautiful thing to know that not just he runs to us, but rather he's made preparation to celebrate our return because he was expecting it today. It's a beautiful thing when the prodigal comes home. Oftentimes when we go through this, the scripture and read it, we kind of stop at that point. Oh, the prodigal came home, that's great. But if you remember back in verse 11, it said that the, the father had two sons. There's a whole nother son in this story that we haven't even gotten to yet. The older son is back at home. The Bible says in Luke 15, 25 through 32, it says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Listen, that's some pretty loud dancing if he heard dancing. Think about it. He heard music and dancing. That's, that's, that's a party. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated to him. But the son answered his father. He said, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, that, that tells you something, this son of yours, he won't even name him. The son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad 
For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This older brother was so close yet so far away. You see, if you look back at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, you will see that Jesus is surrounded by sinners, tax collectors, but also Pharisees. If you remember last week, we talked about the leaven of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy and their pompous religious attitude that they are greater than everyone. When Jesus tells this this parable, he's speaking to two types of lost people. He's talking about the sinner who is out living recklessly, but he's talking about the religious person who comes to the house of the Lord, who hears the word, because they were listening to this story, that they're so close yet so far away. When Jesus told this story, he wasn't just talking to the sinner, he was talking to the religious. This, this older son had a religious attitude. He, he could not celebrate the fact that, that his sinning brother was saved and had returned home because all he could think about was himself. All he was worried about was, he, was, why didn't I get this kind of blessing? Why didn't I get a celebration? I've been faithful and served for years. And the father looks at him and says, all I have is yours. You've always been with me. He's saying you've, you've had access to all of the blessings that you're complaining you don't have your whole life. You've lived in blessing. You've lived in plenty. He, and he's like, you're, you're missing it. Because the, the son goes on and, and, and talks about, he's like, he, he spent all your property on prostitutes and reckless living. He said, all of your property. You see, this shows me something about what the father values most. Because you see, the son was worried about the property. The son was worried about his feast, his blessing, all of these things that he, he thought he deserved. But the father doesn't really care about any of that. The father said, it's, it's fitting that we celebrate because your, son was the, your brother was lost and now he's found. He was dead and is now alive. He, he, was, he was telling his son, none of those blessings that you're so worried about really even matter to me. What, what I want to communicate to you today is, is in this religious attitude and, and of this older son, is he was so concerned about how things were, the status quo of things, how the, the, the pecking order of, of life and, and all of these, these, these traditions and things that he thought mattered so much. All he was worried about was his material gain in this world. He thought by just serving and doing well and, and, and all of that and, and working hard for his father that he would earn something great and amazing. And the father's saying, it, I, you can't really earn it. I, I, I give to you and I give to your brother because I love you. And he's, and he's saying to his older son, he goes, I don't care about the property. I care about your brother. I don't care about the feast. I care that your brother's home. This older brother was so close, yet so far away. 
You see, what really mattered to the father was the relationship between him and his son. The, the fattened calf was nothing for him. The, the property to give away to him was nothing to him. And I know we, we look at this through earthly eyes and look at this man and this, this father and this, uh, this parable here as an earthly man, but Jesus is painting a picture of the kingdom of God. And it is nothing for the father to lose property if he saves your soul. He doesn't care. Like, like we get so wrapped up in trying to get from God and receive from God and God bless this and bless that and, and, and we're missing out on like a true genuine relationship with him. Like I think if this older son would have really dove into his relationship with his father, he, he would have been just as happy about this, the other brother coming home. I, I think that if, if he was fulfilled in the relationship, he wouldn't have been so worried about the feast. But because he spent his time out in the field, he spent his time out working. See, the, the older son was so busy working that he had no idea what was even happening. He had, he had excluded himself from the home to be out in the field, trying to fulfill and, and trying to, to earn his father's approval. That, that's what he, he, he was a prodigal in a different way. The youngest son needed delivered from recklessness. The older son needed delivered from religiousness. See, he had, he had distanced himself. He had run off on his own. You see, that you, can, you can be a prodigal in religion. You, you can be in church. You can serve and do things, but your heart still be far from God. Jesus said, he said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's busy in the field, but spends no time in the home. This older son was out in the field, had no idea what was even happening because he was so far removed from the work of his father. You see, I, I like to think about back, I don't even know, maybe early 2000s. You know, this son's so worried about celebrating and, and his faithfulness and all of that and and we get excited about the prodigal coming home. And I remember back sometime in the earlier 2000s, it was a big trend to do cardboard testimonies. I don't know if you guys remember that or have ever seen one. But basically on one side of the, the cardboard or sign, you would write, I was addicted to drugs and all this. And then you would flip it over and say, but I've been set free by the grace of God. You might say, I, I killed three people yesterday, but I've been saved by the grace of God. Like, you would have all of those things, and people would go absolutely nuts in a church setting, praising God for the work and transformation that happened. But you never one time saw somebody stand up there with a sign that says, I was born on the front pew, and I haven't left, when they flip it over. Nope, nobody celebrates that. And it is that, and, it, and it's this 
attitude that comes from getting comfortable and complacent. It's an attitude that comes from, I, I, these people get celebrated, and I don't ever get celebrated. I've never done anything wrong in my life, or so you think. And nobody ever celebrates the older son. But they are just as lost as the one who ran off and lived recklessly. The difference is the actions that were taking place. One was squandering away property. One was trying to hoard it and grab all these physical blessings and miss out on relationship with the Father. While the other lost everything, but then later gained it all back, and then some. Today there are two sons in this story. There are two types of prodigals. And so today when we are examining this in our hearts, what category have we or do we fall into? Because you see, if, if we were like the younger son who lived recklessly or are living recklessly, I want you to know that today's the day to come home. God is sitting in heaven looking out his window, looking for the return of his child. And today, if, if you need to come home, he's going to meet you out in the street. But maybe there's somebody who is more like the older son and has gotten stuck and just going through the motions, who is so close yet so far away. You've been in church your whole life, but have never really had a relationship with the Father. You're lost in a whole different way. You're used to the church life. You know how to speak the Christianese talk. You know, you know the church lingo. You, you know how to dress the part and act the part. You know how to, how to raise your hands. And some of you know how to run the aisles at the right time. And uh, the, all those things that we do. You know the right part to say amen. But your heart is so far from the Father. Don't live in his house. Don't exist in his house without knowing him. It's so easy for us to end up like the older son. I find it easier to be, like, it, to be the older son than the younger son because the older son is so comfortable in their religion. They found a, a false sense of security in being out in the field where they can see the father from a distance. They can see him coming in and out of the house. They can see the servants doing things and all that. And they say, yep, there he is, right where I can see him. I'm on his property. And you get comfortable. I'm eating his food. There's blessings that are happening. And you get comfortable in that. And it's so much easier to get caught up in that than it is what the younger son got caught up in. 
And maybe you find yourself in that category today. Or maybe even drifting in that direction. And, and, and you, in your heart, you know that there is a, 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 a yearning for God. The, this desire for a relationship. This, this emptiness that you feel. Because you see, if this older son was satisfied and fulfilled, he wouldn't have been questioning what the father was doing when the other son came home. There was an emptiness in him that he was trying to earn the approval of the father. He was trying to earn his acceptance. When the father says, I've already, like, like what are you doing? Come on, come feast with us. Come, come be a part of the celebration. Come be, at the, come be in my house with me. He refused to go in because it wasn't about him. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning.